I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. detailed view of funding of emerging therapeutic companies over the past 10 years shows, despite a rebound in venture financing, companies continue to struggle to find early-stage money. Nevertheless, the report shows the overall health of investment in the sector is thriving. We spoke to Dave Thomas, Senior Director of Industry Research and Analysis for the Biotechnology Industry Organization and co-author of the report about bio's findings what therapeutic areas attracted the most financing, and what impact the capital markets have had on partnering and licensing activity. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's start with venture investing. Emerging therapeutic companies as a whole are still not raising as much venture capital as they did in the peak year of 2007, but if you look at investment in novel drug R&D, 2014 did surpass the peak. What are you seeing? Well, we are seeing venture capital coming back for novel investments, as well as what we refer to in the report is, is drug improvement investments for therapies that have been approved, but are uh, really more of a delivery R&D investment or reformulation investment. And we see that both of those are coming back. Um, when we look at the totals, we, we see that 2007 was, in fact, a peak, and it was a peak for the overall numbers when you combine those two types of small company uh, R&D, the new chemicals that haven't been approved and R&D for uh, the delivery and reformulation. Um, but the, the novel investment has surpassed that 2007 peak. So that's telling us that, number one, innovation is is coming back from the depths of 2010 was really the low point. And overall, we see 80% of the money that is going into these small companies is going towards that innovative new chemical entity or new uh, mechanisms of action. So that's very promising. Well, one area of concern in the venture numbers has been the decline in Series A investment rounds. What are you seeing in this regard? And, and what kind of a role do you think the exodus of venture investors from the sector during the economic downturn is playing in this. Is is this an ongoing concern for the health of innovation and the availability of funding? Well, I think it, it definitely creates a, a debate. So I was quite surprised to see Series A funding go down. And this is in, in total dollars for Series A funding. In our data, in which you know, we combine four uh, databases to look at all the investment across the, the U.S., uh, we see a, a downtick uh, from just over a billion to uh, just over 800 million, in fact, for 2014, and we see a continued drop in the number of first-time financings for companies developing therapeutics. So we went from uh, 63 companies last year to 62 companies this year. Those numbers in the 60s is about where we've been since 2009, down from this peak of 89 companies in 2006. And some investors will argue that 
things are good because we're investing in the best of the best companies. But others will tell you that we're also missing out on the diversity of innovation that's actually out there, um, especially in, in chronic diseases, uh, where there has been a um, an exodus, if you will, uh, of funding based on, on the numbers that we're looking at. And there are entrepreneurs out there that, that can raise a, a seed round, a few hundred thousand dollars, but when they need that, that $10 million or $16 million on average in our report, Series A financing, um, they're having a tough time getting it, especially in, in, the, in the chronic disease space. The big story in recent years has been the robust IPO market. How attributable is that activity to the JOBS Act and, and the legislation that made it easier for emerging growth companies to go public? I believe it's a it's a combination of both, I and mean, the timing was was perfect for the Jobs Act. I think that it came out in 2012, and in 2013 we had a big pickup in roughly the spring 2013, and it really carried through into 2014, where we had a record number of IPOs. But this was also at a time where, around 2011 2012. There were a lot of great stories coming out of biotech from the larger companies, and I think that uh, spurred a lot of enthusiasm uh, in the sector. We had some great phase three uh, readouts from the large companies and eventually FDA approvals and successful market launches, some of the, the best in, in biotech history. And so I think that has really uh, caught a lot of the attention, and, and that follow-through came to the IPOs, and you add on a positive policy environment, and it's kind of a perfect storm for, for biotech IPOs. And how has that IPO activity changed the appetite for development stage companies? So quite a bit. So for 2008 through 2010, or 2011, actually, uh, there was not a single preclinical IPO or phase one. And in the last three years, 2012 through 2014, We've, in fact, had 22 uh, preclinical or phase one IPOs. So the appetite has come back. And those companies have, a lot of them have very, very interesting technologies that, that were, really weren't around 10 years ago. And so the appetite to get those onto the uh, public market um, has definitely picked up. Uh, how, how about in the follow-on arena? Has there been a considerable shift to earlier stage companies being able to raise big dollars in the public markets? Most of the money that's raised for the follow-on offerings has come from phase three stage compound companies. Uh, that takes up the bulk of the dollars. And then phase two, there really isn't as much phase one uh, or or preclinical. What we have seen in the follow-on market is also a, a big uh, you know, decade year high, over six billion dollars raised last year, and already in 2015, which is not in this report, uh, but in 2015 already we've surpassed all of 2014. Mm-hmm. So the the follow-on market is, has become very strong, and it's it's wonderful for these newly public companies when they turn over a positive phase two data card to be able to go out and and raise more money for their phase three, or if it's a phase three. Uh, readout to raise money for a market launch. Well, as these development stage companies have been able to access the public markets, how has that changed the dynamic of partnering and licensing activity? 
So licensing has also been coming back, and I, I think some would argue we're entering more of a the uh, seller's market. Um, a few years back, it was more of a buyer's market, and we see that the upfront dollars coming into the biotechs has increased, and as a sum of those of all the upfronts for for therapeutics. We're at a decade high for for that as well. So it's over over five billion dollars. In fact, um, was brought in by the small companies through these licensing deals, and the number of deals is also picking up. So that shows a sign of strength crossing over into into the licensing environment. Well, one of the interesting things you do is is look at financing by therapeutic category. Most of these therapeutic areas stay fairly consistent as a percentage of capital raised when you compare venture to IPO to follow-ons. Do, do the fluctuations, though, suggest anything about venture investors' ability to pick areas that excite public market investors? Well, we do see that over over the 10-year periods, you actually see a pretty even distribution that starts with oncology, then neurology, infectious disease, et cetera, and the levels or the percentages, I should say, is fairly consistent. I think what you do see are discrepancies. When you look at venture capital versus IPO, you do see some big discrepancies where you'll see um, a, a decrease in venture investment and then you'll see an increase in these IPOs or, or even following um, dollars. But what is really at hand there is a very low end value. So it might only be one or two companies. In a, in a particular indication uh, that can account for a large amount of the dollars uh, on the IPO or follow-on side, whereas in venture capital, the numbers tend to be a little bit higher, but the dollar amounts are lower. So there are some discrepancies in, in the report between the, the public funding or public market funding and the uh, venture capital funding. In terms of global deal-making, are, are there areas that suggest venture investors either sunk too much money into a therapeutic area or missed opportunities? Uh, no, we see that, um, for example, uh, hematology, there was more investment on the hematology side uh, for uh, licensing and acquisitions as opposed to uh, on, on the venture side. So there might be more of a demand there. Um, and there may be a couple more areas, uh, but it's really, I would say it's more even than not. The other interesting theory is that Platform companies vanish from the financing landscape as you move from venture to IPO to follow-on. Does this suggest they become therapeutic companies? Does it say anything about the viability of a platform company as a platform company? Yeah, so most of the companies that are financed at the venture stage that are platform companies are preclinical, and that has to do with how we tag the, the companies. If they don't have a lead program uh, in, a, in the clinic, and they're preclinical, and they have a molecular platform, they're a platform company. But once they take a compound into the clinic, and it's for a specific disease, then at that point in time, they are relabeled as to what therapeutic category they're in. So to some extent, it's a, it's a labeling phenomenon. But do these companies end up somehow remaining platform plays, as it were, or do they just become focused on a therapeutic area? We do see that that a lot of companies do transform themselves into uh, a, into one therapeutic franchise. So they get one lead compound, and that will, if 
it's an antibody company, they do become a lot of times an oncology or immunology-focused company because that lead compound uh, is really where the uh, the venture dollars tend to go or later on the the, the public dollars for IPO or follow-on offerings. And so even though there are other smaller programs going on behind the scenes, you know, the preclinical space and perhaps, you know, licensed with pharmaceutical companies, a lot of the management time and energy and the dollars from the venture or public market are going into those uh, phase two trials or even, even phase three trials. Dave Thomas, Senior Director of Industry Research and Analysis for the Biotechnology Industry Organization. Dave, thanks as always. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.